Lloyds Banking Group celebrated its birthday last year with an advertising campaign centred on its iconic black horse and the tagline, By Your Side for 250 Years. The recent relationship between the bank and its home market has been a little more complicated. From the government bailout in the financial crisis to the billions of pounds paid to compensate consumers for missold payment protection insurance. With a languishing share price clouding the government's planned public sale of its remaining Lloyd stake, this three-part podcast offers a closer look for current and would-be retail investors. What should we be telling Sid? In this episode, we cover the bank's recent history, much of which is told by veteran city journalist Ivan Fallon, author of a new book tracking Lloyd's through the banking crisis, Black Horse Ride. The story begins with Sir Brian Pittman, its chief executive from 1983 to 1997, and the man who created its strong retail banking franchise. Pittman was a remarkable man. I knew him well. He he actually strode the stage in the city in the banking world more than any other banker in my lifetime. He, When he became chief executive of Lloyd's in the early 90s, had a market value of, uh, of one billion. When he left, uh, 12 years later, it had a market value of over 40 billion. So that's an enormous uh, increase in, in market value. Under Pittman's leadership, Lloyd's expanded in its home retail market buying Trustee Savings Bank in 1995, followed by a building society, Cheltenham and Gloucester, in 1997. But with this focus on the UK, the bank cut its overseas ties. Ivan Fallon again. He basically decided that the great growth area for clearing banking was UK domestic banking. And in the drive for that, he sold off some fantastically good assets overseas. Lloyds, when he took over, Lloyds was basically an overseas bank. And he sold all the South American interests that became much more valuable later. He sold, he sold something like 27 subsidiaries overseas and bought into the UK and drove the earnings and the return on, on capital. It was a, a new concept. Banks didn't have the concept of return on capital. But ROC, as it became known, became the, and still is, the great, uh, the great measure of how a bank is doing. But all this expansion in one market became a problem as the company came up against the competition authorities. When Pittman finally retired, was in a box. It had nowhere to go other than try to make a major acquisition. Pittman had largely grown the business in the last five years or so by making big acquisitions like the TSB and then taking out a billion pounds of costs. But then um, after that, they were so big they couldn't, they weren't allowed to to take over any other, any other business. They did try to take over Abbey National, were turned down by the Competition Commission, and instead they took over very, very lamely. Uh, it's not, not turned out too badly in the end, but they bought Scottish Widows, almost, almost in desperation. They bought an insurance, big insurance company. They didn't need it for the strategy, but they were still even more landlocked after that. After the turn of the century, Lloyd's under Sir Peter Elwood struggled to find a European partner and became the boring bank it was known as ahead of the financial crisis, a UK-focused retail lender with a good dividend but lacking the investment banking and international operations that made its rivals more popular in the market. Well, the shareholders became increasingly angry and uh, there was some quite... Uh, you know, the, the city analysts who really go with whatever the fashion is, were actually quite vituperative in saying, you know, Lloyd's is the most boring stock and we must, you must, uh, RBS is a fantastic stock and HBOS is a fantastic stock and Barclays is a fantastic stock and HSBC is a fantastic stock. And Lloyd's, if you're a, if you're a widow or an orphan or whatever, uh, you want a really boring old uh, dividend stock. 
invest in Lloyds. So the pressure on on the, then the new management, Eric Daniels, uh, who is a very competent professional banker, American, who worked at Citibank, he began turning this monolith around. The financial crisis finally gave Lloyds its opportunity to make its big acquisition. After an opportunistic grasp at Northern Rock, its sights settled on HBOS. HBOS came along exactly a year after Northern Rock in, in August of uh, 2008, when the world banking crisis was beginning to get very, very serious. So that was the stage where Victor Blank, the chairman of Lloyd's, went to Gordon Brown and said, you are going to have a problem. Uh, you, 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 this bank is, can't survive. Uh, in our view, it can't survive. And Gordon Brown already knew that. And you're going to have to nationalise it, uh, which is an absolute anathema to, to Gordon Brown. Uh, he, he saw that as the last nail in the coffin of new labour. Uh, you're going to have to nationalise it, or we'll offer you a private sector solution. We'll take it. We've been talking to them. We've basically got agreement with them. But we can't get any further without changes in the competition laws. Nothing happened until uh, the middle of September when suddenly Lehman Brothers goes bust and the whole banking system is in the biggest crisis for 100 years. And HBOS basically would not survive the week. And that's when uh, Gordon Brown at the famous cocktail party in Spencer House, chaired actually by, um, by Wynne Bishop, who later became the chairman of Lloyd's, he and Gordon Brown sought out Victor Blank and said, look, if you still want to do it, if you still want to do it, Go ahead, go ahead quickly, and we'll do our bit in changing the competition laws. That that was all. It wasn't. Um, I mean, Gordon Brown did nothing wrong. He didn't you know, drive the thing together. He was asked, could he help uh, with the competition laws? He and that's what he agreed to do. The H Boss acquisition was certainly cheered on by the markets. Sandy Chen is an equity analyst at Senkos. On the day, I did upgrade from a sell to a buy because of two things. One, that I saw as I think Lloyd's very much saw at the time, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to double their market share, to get a share of the market that the competition, the regulators wouldn't have accepted in any other condition. And as a result from that, then there was a, a really lasting competitive advantage that Lloyd's would have, particularly at the price that they were getting it at. Ivan Fallon continues the story. Once Lloyd's had said we're going to go ahead, and once they'd made the announcement, and once the government committed itself to helping with the deal, the whole government machine, in a very major way, the whole of the FSA, the whole of the Bank of England, now the governor was hugely aboard on this, and he behaved after that rather well, actually, but it was too late. And, of course, Alistair Darling and the people in the Treasury now drove that thing incredibly hard. Every, every obstacle, every uh, there was, there was hours and weeks of meetings by the absolute senior officials to help Lloyds do that deal. At the same time, the government was compelling reluctant banks to recapitalise in order to strengthen their balance sheets at a time of extraordinary market stress. The government insisted, quite rightly, uh, the American government did the same, copying, actually copying Gordon Brown, that every bank, every single bank in Britain, must be recapitalised. Good or bad, you must recapitalise yourselves this weekend. And HBOS obviously couldn't, the government had to put money in there. Uh, they insisted that Lloyds take government money because no money was available in the market. The rest is history. As for the HBOS deal, Lloyds knew there were some bad assets on its target's balance sheet, but they could stomach the write-offs in return for the increased market share. But the situation worsened with the economy. 
they reckoned there was probably about 10 billion of write-offs in the HBOS balance sheet. And that, that was what it was in their prospectus document to shareholders, uh, their own shareholders at the time, which is what the shareholders approved and the board approved. So 10 billion, they'd allow for 10 billion. Now that 10 billion turned out to be 52 billion. And the reason for that was, uh, first of all, that um, uh, the economy sank so fast they assumed it was going to be a fairly ordinary recession like the Norman Lamont recession of the early 90s, sort of a 1 in 15 uh, recession, or maybe a 1 in 25 recession, which would have taken it back to Margaret Thatcher's days. This turned out to be a 1 in 100 recession. HPOS was particularly exposed to property with debt and equity exposure to developers and house builders. Nowhere was this more acute than Ireland, where the bank lost £10.9 billion as the property bubble burst. I had to eat my own words and <laughs> really just say, oh my goodness, I didn't realise that things were that bad in terms of what they bought at HBOS. And what Lloyd's did after that was, one, do a very large kitchen sinking exercise to write off a lot of those bad debts. And then really that created the room for them to sort of crawl back into profitability. That cruel back has been slowed immensely by the level of compensation payouts for payment protection insurance mis-selling. Sandy Chan again. With payment protection insurance, it was pretty much part and parcel of most every credit card or loan or mortgage that you would take out as a retail customer of most of the banks. And the and really, no one thought much about it. There were quite a few complaints, but... But actually, there, there wasn't a concern that there would have to be a payout from the banks until with the change in management at Lloyd's, the new uh, CEO came in and said, well, well actually, this, these lawsuits, and the, um, uh, it, they've got a point that it's just not fair that we, we actually did missell PPI. And with that, then came this raft of effectively repaying every penny that had been paid into PPI, and, and it had amounted to tens of billions for Lloyd's. We will talk more about such challenges in the next episode. But despite the write-offs and the enforced selling of TSB after the bailout, will history judge the HBOS deal more positively than the commentators of the time? Final thoughts here from Ivan Fallon. Well, the objective basically was to turn Lloyd's from the fifth biggest bank, which was basically nowhere, to the effectively the biggest bank, if you exclude H- HSBC, in Britain, and that's what's been achieved. So Lloyd's is making an underlying profit of eight billion pounds a day. It is the second or third biggest bank in Europe, and it's got the dominant positions. I know it's, it's lost TSB, which they didn't bargain on, and that's cut a chunk off their market share. But it's still a huge, profitable. They've taken other three billion pounds of costs. It's, so it's a, it's a. I think it's a fantastic machine. So all of those things have been achieved. Those are the objectives. They've been achieved. Now, they've been achieved at great cost, and that's where shareholders have suffered because the number of shares in issue at Lloyd's going into the merger was $5.5 billion. Today, it's $73 billion. So that's the, that's the level of dilution that shareholders have suffered. In the second part of this podcast, we will consider the buy case for Lloyd's ahead of the share sale. What is encouraging retail and institutional investors to buy into the bank's prospects? This podcast was presented by me, Ian Smith, company's editor of The Investor's Chronicle, and produced by our digital production editor, Dominic Toms.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.